Welcome to Conversations with the Best Minds in Real Estate, a podcast hosted by RCL Co. Real Estate Advisors, the show that brings you illuminating interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders throughout all corners of the real estate sector. Each episode will feature different masters in real estate, revealing challenging lessons they've learned, their secrets to success, and opinions regarding the state of the market. Hello, this is Charlie Hewlett, Managing Director of RCL Co. Real Estate Advisors. If you're a regular listener to our podcast, then you know that since 1967, RCL Co. has been the first call for real estate developers, investors, the public sector, and non-real estate companies seeking strategic and tactical advice regarding property investment planning and development. Welcome to the latest episode of Conversations with the Best Minds in Real Estate. Today, I'm talking with Karen Hollinger, Senior Vice President of Strategic Initiatives with Avalon Bay Communities. As I'm sure most of our listeners know, Avalon Bay is one of the largest and most respected publicly traded multifamily REITs. The company has an ownership interest in nearly 300 apartment communities, including more than 86,000 apartment homes in 11 states and the District of Columbia. And it has over 19 communities currently under construction. The total market capitalization of the company is just shy of $30 billion. So, Karen, thanks so much for joining us as one of the best minds in real estate. Thank you for having me. So, let me tell you what I know. So, you cut your teeth at Avalon Bay, or ABB, as, as, as a lot of people call it, in 2001 as the director uh, in their human resources department. And then you went on uh, as the vice president of national operations to establish and manage the AVB customer care center, which at the time was a really cutting edge uh, call center to handle resident inquiries and maintenance requests, et cetera, uh, which I think has you know, been widely copied uh, across the industry. From there, you became the VP of information services and was the lead executive at ABD in charge of all applications, infrastructure, and IT for the company. And now you serve as the SVP of strategic initiatives, and you are the person responsible for leading large corporate initiatives, and you're the point person for innovation and the company's involvement with venture capital. So well, what did I miss? Fill in, fill in the blanks of your of your. <laughs> I think you uh, personal career, right? That's a that's a pretty good uh, pretty good summary of a, of a varied career in real estate. Maybe I'll, uh, I'll I'll back up a little and start with the pre real estate days. I actually spent a good five years starting out as a bartender, uh, and that's how I put myself. It is that's how I put myself through college. Um, that's actually how I met my husband was bartending. All right, now this and, is and I still, this is a family show. Well, you know, I make a great margarita. That's about uh, that's about the only thing that's um, that's exciting there. And I, uh, I I did that while I, I put myself through college. I went to William and Mary and got a degree in finance. Finance from a liberal arts education is probably a, a rarity. I think there were thirty of us. And then uh, after I, I graduated, I was lucky enough to go right from undergrad to KPMG Consulting in the emerging international markets practice. And that's back when uh, USSR was uh, still USSR. And uh, and they were still uh, in process of privatizing uh, what 
had been government operations. And uh, and I joined as their, I think I might have been the sole person, maybe there were two of us in, in IT strategy. That tells you just how long ago I got into technology. Well, wow. And, so maybe, maybe I can use my uh, college Russian on it. <laughs> yes? No, I, I, I had a translator. Oh, uh, okay. I had a translator. <laughs> but um, But I did... You know, I did spend almost a decade um, going from going from country to country. I literally, in my trunk, had two suitcases. I had one with three days worth of clothes for uh, the Baltics and three days worth of clothes for uh, the, the tropics. And when I went into work each day, I really wasn't sure uh, whether I was going to go home that night or if I was going to instead uh, get on a plane. And uh, so I made it... I worked in about 10 countries, uh, including two years in China. So my Chinese is probably better than my Russian, but still not good. I can't test um, you at all, so you're safe. <laughs> and after after about 10 years of that, I was I was ready for some stability. I was ready to to actually uh, go to bed uh, reliably in the same in the same country. And uh, Avalon Bay, I, I moved over to a domestic consulting practice. Avalon Bay was one of my first U.S.-based clients, and they offered me the position in the in the HR group as a, as a senior director over uh, technology and operations. And then, as you said, in the last 19, uh, 20 years, I've I've moved around to several functions at Avalon Bay, and it's always it's always better. Each function is better than the last, more enjoyable, but, but certainly this is, is a lot of fun um, focusing on the, on the large projects and innovation and venture capital and, and the like, um, you know, innovation is, is, is just fun by itself. And I guess personally, I've been married for now 30 years. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you to the most patient man ever who has stayed home and raised our two boys. Um, I have one son at Virginia Tech and one son at University of California, Berkeley, and they're both getting degrees in technology-focused majors. So uh, there, there is hope that they will be off the family payroll in a few years. Well, and the and the apples didn't fall far from the tree, did they? It is fun. It is fun having them ask me about the rule of startups, and and yeah. I can actually answer that question for them, <laughs> maybe warn them against it. But there's uh, another story. Well, we'll get there. But 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 first of all, I gotta I gotta ask you, you know, in these challenging times that we're we're all living here through, you know, first of all, how are you? How was your family? How how was the extended AVB family doing during the COVID nineteen era? Uh, well, I mean, thanks for asking. Uh, you know, certainly it's challenging. Personally, uh, we're fine, healthy, strictly quarantined. Um, you know, I, I I would say it's busy but boring, and mm. I think that's probably what we all would say: busy but boring. 
uh, you know, for excitement, we we build puzzles and and play competitive Scrabble and go for long walks. So so the quieter um, hobbies in life. Um, I mean, but the company is fine. We haven't um, we haven't laid off. We haven't furloughed. Um, you know, certainly there are challenges in certain markets, uh, but but multifamily is a, is a is a great safe haven. Uh, when it comes to real estate, um, because people still need to have a place to live. And, and at this point, with the increase in work from home, you might say that on the other side of this, we may even see an increase in um, demand for units as both a living and working environment. So, so that's interesting. Yeah, because I, you know, you guys were sort of on the front line of having to uh, invent safety protocols on the fly and social distancing. And you had a bunch of essential workers that were on your construction sites and, and having yep. to change things up and, and keep everybody safe, but keep everything moving. So, you know, what, what have you found to be uh, among some of the biggest challenges that you faced from, you know, from the, from a professional standpoint? Well, I mean, certainly from a professional standpoint, as an institutional owner, while we are innovating at a fast clip, we don't innovate on a Tuesday, right? So we don't get everyone together and say, okay, here's the new way we're going to fill in the blank and then tomorrow do that. There's 3,300 staff. Uh, so, so moving that ship uh, is usually something that's, that's well orchestrated. Uh, where where we didn't do that in 2020, right? In 2020, there was a period where we sent people home, but you still need to lease apartments. We still need to maintain them. And we need to get people uh, back as an essential worker uh, to, to do that. And our residents are expecting service. So, so we had to make decisions pretty quickly. I think... Um, I think we were we were uh, able to do that, and even things with construction. I mean, we 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 stopped construction for a few weeks, um, and you can imagine, you know, if you're putting up drywall, you know, how am I going to get this inspected, right? I can't put up drywall if if I haven't had the inspector come out. But even the jurisdictions um, expressed or or showed a great deal of flexibility. And we had jurisdictions that said, you know, maybe we'll come out and inspect once a day, but it's at lunch when everyone is off the job site. Or you can show me an iPad view of the wiring and okay, it's inspected, you can put up drywall. So I, I think professionally there's been challenges but we've largely surmounted them, learned a great deal about what needs to be automated. I, I would say that. I think the bigger challenges professionally are just how to work in a totally virtual environment. Um, you know, the big, the big three C's, consensus, collaboration, and conflict, don't do so well when you're not in the same room with everyone else. But, um, you know, we, it's been fine. I would say that. And, and, and what, if anything, has, has surprised you to the upside? 
Well, you know, I think I'd be stretching if I if I tried. <laughs> you know, I'm Let a glass for fun here. here. I'm looking. I'm looking. <laughs> I'm looking. Um, I, you know, if, if if there's any upside, and it, it is a bit of a stretch, uh, I can say that this experience taught me that I am not ready to get off the road. In fact, I, I really, really look forward to travel again, and I am nowhere near ready to retire. So, um, you know, when I, when I imagine what retired life must be like, I imagine a situation somewhat similar to, uh, to you know, the current environment where you, you get up each day and you don't have a place to go. <laughs> um, and I, I'm nowhere near ready for that. I, I guess personally, the, there's been one upside, which is that one of my sons um, is now going to college virtually, so he's home. Uh. And, uh, and, and so each night at the dinner table, I get to hear, uh, real time what he learned about that day. And wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you have a male child that speaks. I know. I know. He didn't speak until he was 18, by the way. Uh, so okay. for, for any listener that, that thinks that um, that I have the anomalous um, teenager. Yeah. No, no. My my son really said nothing to me for five years. Um, but but now suddenly at 18, I get to hear what he's learned every day. And uh, and that would have never taken place if he had been at campus. And when you're when you're writing large tuition checks, mm. it, it makes it go down easier. Let's say it that way. <laughs> I like it. OK, silver lining. I agree. Well, and and hearkening back to your uh, retirement, um, boy, if 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 this is what my retirement is going to be like, I, I'm going to need to retire from my retirement. I'm working harder now, I think, <laughs> in the great lockdown than I did when I was going to the office 24 seven. I mean, I logged about you know eight hours of Zoom meetings yesterday alone. So um, by noon. <laughs> yeah. Right. So anyways. So, uh, you know, I, I think that the, uh, the the pandemic and the great lockdown has ha- has accelerated some trends um, that were in place uh, prior to the pandemic. When you think about um, work for you know, WFA, work from anywhere, um, you know, uh, the the. Um, the failure of some retail, um, you know, the, 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 that old saying, when the when the tide goes out, you find out who's not wearing a bathing suit, right? So, um, you know, the, the, the maybe we need less office space uh, going forward. But some of the predictions that, that I have heard at, in the depths of the downturn that, you know, our urban cores are going to empty out and everyone's going to live in, you know, in the country and no one's ever going to come to the office again. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm not sure that that some of the trends that we are seeing and some of that stuff is absolutely happening, right? Millennials buying homes in record numbers now um, is another one. I'm not sure how durable those trends are. So when when you think about some of the lasting impacts that you think that this pandemic is going to have on American society, work, life, and play kind of in general, and then the impact it's going to have on the rental apartment industry in particular, what do you think a post-COVID new normal is going to look like? That's challenging. I mean, when you're building a physical asset, a 50-year asset, you need to watch the trends, but you can't react too dramatically uh, one way or the other, right? I mean, if... and 
that that is a a theme that has been drilled into me over the years that you don't ignore the trends but you also don't follow them so closely that you create an asset that's only current in a in a five year period yeah and so i i think of the all the trends that we were following closely the one trend that I think will have the most lasting impact away from that trend is the sharing economy, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's, it's been well-written and in real estate, in multifamily real estate, that was a trend that was, it was not new. It had some legs, um, and, and really was starting to impact everything we do when it comes to common areas, uh, when it comes to uh, how uh, populations want to uh, join together with strangers, really the comfort level in joining together. We didn't engage on the, um, the co-living trend as an example, which is a, a component of that, that sharing economy. Sure. Um, but, but I thought it really could um, finally break out as a common living type in multifamily, not just a fringe, not just in Brooklyn. And right now I'm not so sure about that, yeah. but I think that's an example of a sharing economy um, impact to the rental uh, industry that probably just got set back by a decade. Not that it won't come back, but the concept of living with strangers and sharing a kitchen uh, probably just just hit a knock. You know, on the other side, Right. So we're, we're all um, sort of embracing the, the mid rise, the high rise. You know, how big can you go within the same um, square footage of land? Um, but, you know, direct entry, Woody walk ups just got a big old shot in the arm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so the idea of not walking through hallways is now going to appeal to a demographic that maybe in the past it didn't which is another aspect of just the suburban versus urban um, decision. You know, I I don't think there's going to be a new normal in terms of our customer or employment or residency patterns um, for quite some time. I I don't think we're going to be able to say like this geography is doing great and this geography is not and and still have that be the, the case three years from now. It may or may not. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I, I was on a panel, um, I don't know, maybe six weeks ago with an economist and he had seen the data on uh, change of addresses for people moving to Idaho. Hmm. Right. Now, I haven't seen it, but hmm. he, he had seen the Idaho change of address data and it was a very telling data point that, uh, oh my gosh, people are moving from San Francisco to Idaho. Who would have thought it? Yeah, yeah. And does that mean that you should start developing in Idaho? Or does it mean that after three really hard winters, 
that anyone who's in Idaho is now going to be moving to to Austin or to Nashville or back to San Francisco. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, my, my personal take is that um, is, and, and it remains to be seen how, how long a period of time it will be. But once we have a, an effective and widely distributed vaccine and or better therapies, and, and and hopefully the COVID-19, you know, is a distant memory that the new normal will look a lot more like the old normal than some yeah. new kind of, you know, unrecognizable, uh, you know, pattern in the country. Now, you know, our, I, I, our that's, that our, would be the, my feeling as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, our resort and second home, uh, you know, community uh, clients are having a record year for all of the reasons you, you talked about. And, and some of our, our clients in uh, that own multifamily assets in some of our big urban centers, you know, are telling us that, you know, their collections are great, but their physical occupancy in some assets is down to 30%, which is mind boggling because they're in the Hamptons or they're in Tahoe, they're, you know, on Cape Cod, whatever. Um, so again, you know, I don't think that you know, based on my personal experience, that that is going to be the situation we are facing in 2022 or 2023. Maybe for part of 2021, and maybe even a good part of it, who knows? And that's the question in my mind. When I think about uh, my my grandparents, right, my, my, my grandparents who are no longer um, um, with us, you know, there are two things they did that I didn't understand. One was they saved like crazy, because you never knew what was going to happen, right? And two is you don't shake hands with strangers. I mean, you just don't. You, 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 you know, you wash your hands constantly and you don't shake hands or hug strangers, right? I don't know you. It, those type of cultural implications may be less related to housing, but more related to how we interact uh, and how we think about, uh, you know, saving a dollar today versus spending it. I think that might have a lasting impact. Yeah, I'd love to spend some dollars, but I got nowhere to go to spend them. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell us. Uh, we we don't we don't we don't. Well, we want state secrets, but we won't ask you to reveal state secrets. But what are some of the things uh, that that Avalon Bay is doing to to change its business model in response to some of these changes? As you said. We're not knee-jerk reacting to anything in the, in the short term, but uh, what, what, can you give us some indication of some of the things that you're thinking about and doing and how, where you're pointing the battleship? Well, without talking about, um, you know, geographies and, uh, and development plans, which are, which are better left um, discussed uh, on, our, on our quarterly calls, you know, we like all institutional uh, multifamily owners are really thinking about technology, right? We're really thinking about how we can um, digitize previously manual interactions. Uh, we know that our customer wants to, whether it's tour an apartment or lease an apartment or uh, submit a service request or whatever it is that they want to do, they want to do it 24-7 and they want to do it efficiently. And, and that's not the, the manual interaction. The piece of paper is not value add for their living experience. Value add to the living experience means things like fixing the refrigerator uh, fast, 
and, and, you know, <laughs> cold, cold food and a warm apartment in the winter and, um, doing things accurately. And, um, and, and our staff, uh, on site do a great job of sales and marketing and maintenance, but it is not, um, additive to the overall experience for them to key something in, uh, when the customer wants to do it themselves. And so we, we've been focusing a lot on that digital journey of, of really, uh, looking at all of the processes and investing in automation, investing in AI and uh, data analytics and smart building and, and all of those things that, uh, that make a portfolio hum. And you're going to start to hear some more about that. So in the next uh, month or so, you'll probably hear about our new brand, uh, which is Conso. Kanso is the Japanese word for simplicity. And the new brand uh, really has simplicity as its core. And, and in, in that way, it means low staff. It means high automation. It means uh, no or limited amenities. It's really getting back to the basics of a beautiful, modern apartment but by allowing us to digitize, to take the staff out of the equation and the, the, the no amenities, um, we can actually build um, a community at a lower cost and we can also pass along those costs as a lower rent. And so it, it is hard, you know, land is very expensive, taxes, um, you know, it, it's very expensive to build. Um, but but we think there is a market for what we would call the young careerist, which is really getting back to the basics of um, of the unit as the as the primary uh, value. And so, Conso Twinbrook uh, is our is our first uh, concept community under that brand, and it's in uh, Rockville, Maryland, uh, opening in November. And you know, we at Avalon Bay, we always talk about high barrier to entry, but, but high barrier to entry in, in our world in the past has always reflected the geography of the building. Yeah. And so, so this is really a, a, a different way of looking at that, that this is high barrier to entry, meaning that we have technology and centralized services that, that can't easily be replicated. So, so what, so walk, walk me through the whole customer experience at Canso. Like how, how, how does it actually work? Uh, it's mostly virtual and digital. So, uh, so if you want to uh, see an apartment, uh, you will go on the website and you will see a 3D tour of every unit mm. um, and the views of the unit and all the things that make that unit um, specific and different than the next unit. And if you would like to see the surrounding area, there'll be a video to tell you about the surrounding area. And if you would like to apply for an apartment, you can do that yourself. You don't need to see us. You will run your own credit. Uh, you will do your own ID check because there's software that can scan your ID. Just actually the software can do it better than we can. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and you will sign your lease online. Well, what, if, so, what, if I, what if I want to go and see an apartment? 
You can do that, um, but only in, in limited, um, limited cases. So we plan to do uh, an open house once a week, but that's a, that's a group. That's not a, an appointment. That is literally an open house. Like if you think about um, an open house for uh, for a house where you can stop by and we will digitally uh, scan your ID and give you a digital code to the apartment. We've heard a lot about, you know, virtual tours, self-guided tours, you know, particularly in the single family rental and also moving into the multifamily space. So this concept has that as its primary, um, it's primary. way of touring units. That's interesting. It's primary. And, and, and down to the, um, down to the point that even the signage assumes that there's no one with you. So if you walk into a leasing office right now at any community, um, you will see a beautiful, either modern or traditional, depending on the era, um, office. And the office's um, goal is to make you feel comfortable while you wait for a person to walk you around the building. Uh, we don't have a leasing office. So what we have instead is a showroom and the showroom is analogous to when you were, uh, if you ever go into a condo showroom, it provides vignettes of what the kitchen would look like, the bathroom, the, the bedroom, the closets. Um, and within that physical showroom, the signage and the digital uh, screens are actually your, uh, I'll call it leasing consultant. They explain the apartment mm. and the services and the Wi-Fi and all the features that come standard in the apartment, um, not a person. So we don't plan to have a person in that showroom when you come in. You will be self-entering obviously with, uh, with uh, you know, some amount of light ID vetting. Um, and now you understand what the brand promise and the community promise um, represents. But then if you're going to go see a unit, the, the digital map, the signage, where you park, everything has been um, structured in a way that assumes you're by yourself. And if you're by yourself, you need to know to make a right here to go see these units, right? Mm -hmm. You need to know that these are the parking spaces that you should park in that can get you directly to this unit that you'll be touring. Fascinating, right? and you said no amenities. No amenities, no gym, no pool, no rooftop, no elevator. Wow. So how, how did you all get, I mean, the, the apartment industry is not known for taking outsized risk, right? So there's, there is somewhat of a herd mentality. Um, you know, I kept hearing about amenity wars, you know, that started in the yes. 80s and has pers probably persist today and keeping up with the Jones, you know, conversations, gee, can we do without a pool? Well, we better not. And you guys stripped them all out. How did you get your right. now? No, this is, by the way, this is one brand and one asset. We also have a, a beautiful high rise that just opened in Baltimore that has a rooftop pool to die for. Huh. Um, but, but I think, I think that's, um, 
that's what we gain by not only having a strong development pipeline, we also gain the ability to use data to, I, I won't call it um, take risks because in real estate, you know, we're, we don't take risks, but it allows us to, um, to be more flexible and creative because the data tells us what's missing in that hyper-local market. That the data is what allows us to go beyond uh, someone's gut reaction to, I should have a pool, but to instead figure out what type of customer um, is not being, um, being given a supply of applicable housing in that market. And then beyond that, it allows us to, whether it's survey, we actually did face-to-face -face interviews. We did a lot of, of data gathering before we made this decision to figure out exactly what this customer wanted. What were, what were they willing to pay for and what did they not value? And, and so what we learned was this young careerist in this very hyper-local part of Rockville um, did not really have um, new uh, multifamily stock that was in the middle. There was either highly amenitized, just like you said, the amenities war, or there were buildings that were 45 years old and didn't have washer dryers in the unit. You had to go to a shared washer dryer. So this, this middle tier was missing. Um, and if we could offer it at a lower price than the highly amenitized assets, um, it provided um, sort of demand already, already there. Um, and so then we, we actually talked to, uh, to a couple dozen um, folks that fit this, this um, young careerist um, demographic or this, this cost tier. And we did a whole trade-off analysis. And what we learned was, you know, using the example of the washer dryer, they wanted a washer dryer in their units. That is a step up, is the washer dryer in the unit. And the buildings that are in that area that, again, aren't heavily amenitized, don't have elevators. So that's not a step down. Where in Arlington, as an example, which is also in the D.C. area, that might not be the case. Right. But, but, it, but, you, but you can't. You can't just use your gut or, or based on the last 20 developments you've done to say no customers like. Customers, customers have all sorts of different needs. And, in, and until you've actually assessed what the demand is in the market and who your customer is, you don't know what a good cost trade-off will be. Yeah, I'm thinking about the area around Twinbrook. I mean, there are there are health clubs, there is retail, there is transportation. So, you know, it sounds like you're relying on sort of the amenities of the neighborhood and not That's right. bothering to duplicate those. Maybe you wouldn't try Conso in, in uh, rural Idaho. Exactly. There's, there's really a couple things there to unpack. Um, one, exactly what you just said, is that there, it, there's no shortage of gyms um, in that area. So if you if you have a fitness desire, you probably already go to, you know, one of the, the gyms anyway. Um, when they open. Uh, but but then the second thing is we we have a lot of um, we have a lot of communities in, in the D.C. area. 
and a lot in Montgomery County already. So this wasn't our first entry into Montgomery County, which allows us to offer amenities on a pool basis or a portfolio basis rather than a community basis. And so we've created this concept of ABB Passport, which right now is coming soon because of, of COVID. But, but once the quarantine ends, we will allow the residents at Conso Twinbrook to, to pay for monthly or quarterly passes to other Avalon Bay community gym and pools. So all of a sudden, when you, when you think about the fact that you've got, you know, call it five communities within a few mile radius and all five of them have a pool, well, all of a sudden, I, Avalon Bay actually has more to offer than, 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 than saying there's no amenities. We actually have a lot of amenities, just not at that building. So you said opening in November. So you must have been thinking about this and planning for this for several years, right? You must you, you must feel like a pandemic genius, right? Because this seems to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was a coincidental um, uh, development that, you know, here we're planning for a, in a sense, a touchless building. We're, we're planning for a building that is open air. <laughs> without staff, you know, in a virtual experience, which fits pretty well right now. If there's, you know, there, there, I guess that's the, you know, the glass half full view of it. But, but, uh, but yes, yeah, certainly developments have a long planning horizon to them. So um, it, it does, it, this is a concept community will learn a lot. And the things that are great will end up uh, will end up using those lessons across the portfolio. And the things that don't work so well, well, we'll just we'll 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 learn from them. Well, fascinating. Well, thank thank you for sharing that story. I, I, I will be interested to see how it goes, and we will be checking back with you on a regular basis. Fingers fingers. Right. So you you obviously spent a lot of your time thinking about you know the impact that technology has on real estate. Um, and so I just be curious, you know, to, to, to tell, you know, have you tell our listeners a little bit about some of the big, the big impacts that you've witnessed over the course of your career? Like what have been some of the big sea change things that have happened in technology and real estate and particularly in the, in the multifamily space? It's, it's so much. Um, when I joined Avalon Bay 20 years ago, uh, I believe we might have had six people in IT for call it 1400 staff. And four of those six people dealt with uh, your PC or networking or printing or, or something like that. I mean, truly um, technology was personal computing. Uh, and I, I think we had an accounting system and, and, and we were putting in an HR system at that point. It, it really was, it was basic blocking and tackling. Yeah. Um, and, you know, 10 years ago, I can say, uh, you know, obviously things had already grown from there in terms of property operation systems and marketing and, and things, but, but still even 10 years ago in real estate, there was a concept of how little can I spend? Not, not that we're not going to do it, but what, you know, how little can we spend to do it? Right. So 
um, you know, it, I would say, you know, technology was, I want to say necessary evil because I was in tech at that point. And I hate to think that I was part of a, a department of necessary evil, but, but, but still, you, you know, if, if, if you had said, listen, I have an idea on how to automate and there's going to, it's going to be a cost and, and the ROI is hopeful. I don't think that that would, would really, would really fly. Um, and today technology is not a necessary evil. It is core to our operations. Uh, it, it's impossible to think about um, anything we do and not think first about how to automate it. Or, um, and I don't mean just automation for efficiency, it's automation for added revenue opportunities. Um, it's automation to outcompete our peers. Maybe they, they don't have self-touring and we do, and that gives us an edge up. Or maybe it's automation in data analytics, you know, going back to um, what we were just talking about, that, that having more and better data gives you an edge. Um, I, you know, I, I think over the next 10 years, it's, it's, I can't even imagine, it's gonna explode. But, but really what I see now is that um, technology has become more, I'll call it democratized, mm. where it, it used to be that you had to be an institutional player uh, in order to afford a real property management system, as an example, or to afford um, automated uh, push to your ILSs, right? So, so if you weren't an institutional player, you were left with leasing consultants posting on Craigslist. That was about, that's about all you could do. Um, and now, you know, given the influx of capital from the, from the venture capital space, um, and just, you know, prop tech in general exploding, there's a lot of ways you can mimic an institutional player, right? So for a dollar per unit per month, um, you can automatically post all of your availability and pricing to most of the, the major ILSs, which is a lot cheaper than hiring someone to do it. Um, you can buy a customer relationship management software and PMS software and, um, you know, other ways you could do Matterport tours are, are almost free. Mm. You can do 3D touring. You don't have, you could do, you can do touring on your iPhone for that matter. Um, so, so I, I think we're going to see, uh, we're going to see more smaller players that mimic larger players. We're going to see the larger players spend more on technology but in more strategic ways to, to outperform. And we're going to see more technology solutions that are less um, all things to all people. We're going to see technology solutions that are specific to a customer set. And that could be a customer set like the young careerist who is perfectly fine not talking to you. Or it's uh, the customer who only wants short-term housing or they only want furnished housing or they want services, the concierge, or they want Wi-Fi, right? But it's, it's less of that back office mentality of technology and more of tech 
to meet customer demands. Yeah, and and, and you and I have always uh, talked about in, in in the various strategic planning updates that uh, that we've been involved with Avalon Bay over the years. You know, we've always said, look, technology in itself is not a strategy; it's a tool um, right. to help you know achieve our strategic goals and objectives. But again, thinking about you know, I know it's hard to think out. Uh, you know, for the next 25 years. But, you know, what are some of the big things that you see when you look around the corner and the kinds of things that you're hearing from, you know, the the, the, the VC community? I mean, what's coming our way? Any Anything anything sort of interesting that you can share that would uh, be, inter- you know, uh, of interest to the listeners? Well, let's see. 25 years is a long, long time to, okay. to imagine. Right. Um, Five years. <laughs> Five years, right. Yeah. So, all right, artificial intelligence is here. So yeah. if, if we had had this conversation two years ago, I would have said artificial intelligence is on the horizon and it's coming soon. But it's actually here. And it it's here and it's mature enough to actually use it uh, in lieu of people for things like leasing and things like... Um, you know, serving, uh, doing resident uh, questions or maintenance tickets. Um, so I think that that is uh, that is something that over the next five years, if there's anything that we're doing in real estate or in multifamily that does not require, um, um, I guess I would say uh, a careful amount of tenure. Right. I, I don't think we're going to see artificial intelligence take over decisions on ADA. Let's say it that way. Yeah. But when it comes to a ticket that comes in on, on maintenance for someone who says, you know, my, my garbage disposal is clogged. You know, certainly AI can figure out that these are the three next things you might want to do before we come in to see if it fixes it. Uh, I think robotics is here. I haven't seen robotics today um, actually meaningfully impact the real estate industry, Mm. but I see enough tech that's almost there. So this is this is Roomba cleaning our hallways and stuff. That's easy. Roomba cleaning is easy. (laughs) Okay. When I when I think about robotics meaningfully impacting our industry, um, you know, you have to start with the building trades, mm. right? And so, uh, you know, we currently still build with a hammer and in, in maybe not a hammer and nail. Maybe there's an automatic uh, pneumat- pneumatic nailer, but still, the yeah. the idea is there is someone doing that nailing, where um, you know, robotics in the car industry has evolved, you know, 15 years past that, right? The, the car, car manufacturers don't have someone um, who is using a, a, you know, a screw gun to try to put the, uh, to put the pieces together. It is all robotics. And in a way, um, you know, our buildings could be as automated. They're not today. There's still not enough capital uh, or supply um, being produced, but I think we're almost there. That that we're going to start seeing whether it's modular or robotic building, actually meaningfully um, 
move the needle. Um, even things like drywall, right? I mean, there, there, there are robots that all they do is do the, the skim coat already. Yeah. I, I haven't seen it um, used in scale, but a year or five years from now, we will. Right. Especially as as less and less people go into the skilled trades. I even think package management. Right. I mean, uh, one of my um, one of my children um, has a friend at one of the universities that has a closed campus. It has a private streets and a very large campus. And that's how they deliver their packages to the students. A robot drives around the, the campus and, and basically like knocks on their door and, and they get the package out. Yeah. Right now, today, I don't think we're going to see that in multifamily, but in the next five years, sure. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. It's, yeah, it's, it's hard to, hard to get your, your mind around and, and just the, um, the cycle time, uh, and, uh, you know, the, the speed with which, uh, artificial intelligence and technology, uh, enters into our lives is just so fast. It's hard to think 25 years ahead. I agree. Um, you know, I, I, I remember five years ago, uh, when bots were calling, you know, sort of robo calls were calling and it was like, you know, painfully obvious. I'm like, click, forget it. I, I've actually been fooled a couple of times uh, and, and sure. asked, are you a robot? And the bot was smart enough to say, no, my name's Jerry. <laughs> right. That's right. And I started asking him about his favorite football team and then that, that stumped him. Well, uh, uh, several years ago, I went to um, the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, which uh, if you've never been, I think everybody should go once in their life because all of the experience, it's an experience, it's an experience. Um, But but, you know, at that point, this was maybe two or three years ago, they had robots that cut the yard right now. Since then, we've seen those that you can actually buy them. Right. But this was before you could buy it, uh, you know, at Home Depot. Um, but these were commercial grade and, you know, they, they could cover, I want to say, 40 acres a day. Well, OK, that's meaningful. We have a lot of grass that needs to be cut. Right. And so so if if three years ago it was the prototype unit and then today you actually can buy that for your single family house. Right. Five years from now. You know, we're going to say, oh, my gosh, there's a person pushing that lawnmower. That's so odd. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, so enough about the future. Right. Let's 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 talk about let's talk about the past. (laughs) Okay. tell 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 our listeners what got you interested in in, you know, in real estate in the first place and, and, and then and then technology. Well, um. I mean, really, I got interested uh, in real estate, I would say more luck than anything else, Um, because I was doing uh, I was doing consulting and Avalon Bay was was one of my first customers or, you know, in the domestic um, sense. And I thought, yeah, real estate, it's a good uh, it's a good harbor. uh, When, uh, you know, the the building is still going to be there year over year. Uh, And in technology. You know, I've always pretty much gone for challenges, right? I've always sort of resonated with um, what other people might not know that uh, is challenging um, to learn. 
And so I kind of got into to both a little bit, um, I guess, through luck more than than planning. Um, but I, I really enjoyed both. I mean, technology allows you to be innovative, um, to, to think creatively. Real estate grounds you in decisions that have an ROI and are more permanent. So, uh, you know, I, I guess I would say for those that are thinking about a career in either, they're both great fields to be in. And, and for my children, um, you know, I would say go tech. Yeah. <laughs> and they are. They took your advice. That's right. So as, as, as you think about your career uh, advancement, what, you know, who are, who are the people or, or the resources that have been most valuable to you? over the course of your career? You know, I was, I was thinking about um, this question and, and I would say, I don't have that one person that I can say really was, was the, the person who mentored me, who, who really, um, uh, you know, altered my my life trajectory. I have had great supervisors over the years, and if um, if I if I have a great supervisor and a great mentor, uh, you know, I I took the opportunity to listen. And if you had a gr- a not great supervisor, you know, I I had probably about fifty. I had fifty consulting engagements before I joined Avalon Bay. So that's 50 different managers, really. That's how it sort of works is every consulting engagement is a, is a different manager. And so I've had not so great supervisors over the years. And I've taken away lessons on how not to deal with staff from those. Uh, you know, even I, I was thinking about bartending, right? Bartending I had a great restaurant manager years and years and years and years ago. And they taught me how to deal with a wide variety of people. So every supervisor, you, you, you gain something, you know, if I one, if I had to really be nailed down to the one person who's positively influenced, um, my, my life, I would probably say my father-in-law, which has nothing to do with business. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I've, I've been in the family a long time and, and my father-in-law is a, he's a small town attorney and he always looks for the good in others. Uh, he cares more about um, how he interrelates to others than, than what he asks for from himself. Uh, he walks the straight and narrow in life. And, and I do tend to think that um, being good actually has its benefits. And, um, and whenever there's a challenge, I generally think, you know, what would my father-in-law do? Because that's, that's the right way to sleep well at night. Well, that is, that is very encouraging. Uh, I'm going to keep that in the back of my mind. No, the front of my mind. Thank you for that. The front of your mind. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us what's what's ne- what's next for you. Like, what what are your plans for the next uh, twenty years? We you just told us you have no plans to retire. So what do you want? To no ac- plans. What do you want to accomplish next? Oh, you know what, Charlie? I I don't know how anyone can can really 
think about what they want to do for the next 20 years with any amount of honesty. Uh, uh, you know, I didn't know at 18 that I wanted to be in real estate and tech. And at 50, I don't know what I want to do at 70. <laughs> right. I, I know I like technology and I like innovation and I like making a difference and a challenge. The bigger the challenge, the better. I love to travel. So, I mean, maybe maybe it'll be public boards, right? Maybe I'll, uh, I'll build my own house someday because at some point I can't say that I, I don't know construction. Um, so I'm, I'm not ready for the, uh, the three G's. I'm not ready for golf, gardening and grandkids. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, whatever, whatever the next chapter, uh, holds for you, we, we wish you the best of luck. Um, and uh, I want to thank you for spending time with us. It's been my pleasure to have a conversation with Karen Hollinger, Senior Vice President of Strategic Initiatives at Avalon Bay Communities, one of the truly great minds in real estate. Karen, thank you so much. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Conversations with the Best Minds in Real Estate, hosted by RCL Co. Real Estate Advisors. If you are interested in learning more about RCLCO, go to rclco.com and follow us on Twitter at RCLCO. Don't forget to subscribe to new episodes of the podcast and make sure to leave us a rating on iTunes. Thanks for tuning into the show. 